over the last couple of years, the way prospects are buying has changed drastically and everything's going ignored more than it ever was. Like they're doing everything they can to avoid talking to that salesperson these days, which makes the job that much harder. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Today, I am excited to welcome Deanna Shimoda to the call. Deanna, thank you for joining us. Please introduce yourself to the audience who has not yet hung out with you. Yeah, thank you, Ledge. Hi, I'm Deanna Shimoda. I'm with Growth Mode Marketing. I am the CEO there, and we are a marketing agency that focuses in demand generation. And really what we're doing is helping B2B organizations break through the clutter of crowded markets so that they can crush their revenue goals. So crowded markets are all of them now. I mean, we're all drowning yeah. in, in information. And I can speak as someone who has often tried to pitch or people try to pitch to me all the time. And like, I'm even receptive to this because like, I get it. I am in the sales seat. I'm in the marketing seat very often. You know, I try to be respectful and you can't read it all. It's just like, people want my time. People want my calls. I get 15 LinkedIn things a day. I got cold emails. I go like to my video. Hey, will you do my demo? Hey, can I even pay for your lunch? And I'm just like, oh my God, like I can't handle this. Like I have endless calls to do myself. And I think that's only gotten worse. And I empathize with how to even remotely stand out in that world. I can't imagine that you haven't heard this story before. No, it is so common, you know, especially when you look at like technology markets, for example, there are hundreds, sometimes thousands of competitors that you're competing for the same dollars with. And like you said, people are getting bombarded with marketing messages and sales outreach every single day. And the irony is that over the last couple of years, the way prospects are buying has changed drastically and everything's going ignored more than it ever was. Like they're doing everything they can to avoid talking to that salesperson these days, which makes the job that much harder. And so from a marketing perspective, when we go in at Growth Mode Marketing and talk with our clients and help them build out strategies. It's really like taking it to a foundational level and saying, okay, who are we targeting? It can't be, I'm going to be everything to everyone. It's got to be hyper-focused to make you stand out. And you've got to have this unique point of view and the story that you're going and telling. So if they're getting bombarded by 50 different companies, and let's say you're a technology selling into the manufacturing space, if I'm looking at, for example, an HR technology software to help me manage my employees, they all sound the same. They say they have differentiators. As a buyer, they, they all look the same to me. So if you take a step back and think about it, how do I stand out in the crowd? 
if you're going to get hyper-focused in your messaging and everyone else is coming in with, I can do everything for everyone messaging with their HR payroll platform, you're going to resonate with them more than the others and you're going to break through that clutter. And so that's really what we work with our clients to figure out is how do you narrow down your audience to actually accelerate your growth? Yeah. And niching is, you know, what is it? Niches and riches. That's, I know in my world, I have to work with clients a lot on, I look at it from a sales side, but it just is like, we have to collaborate a lot with marketeers because they're like, okay, listen, so when you actually get us somebody that wants to buy a thing, here's what that's looking like. It doesn't match these persona type of ideas that, you know, are like marketers, we need as marketers, we need to communicate with what is the median or average of all the individuals that actually end up showing up and maybe have intent or timeliness or buying. And that feedback backs from the sales organization will kind of say, okay, so that, yes, that matched ICP or niche. Here's in fact, ways that we could maybe deliver other messages to them to help attack that demand where it's necessary. And also knowing that demand gen, I think, and, and the best description I've heard has been or like, look, this is for the 95% of people that are actually not ready to buy right now, probably aren't going to do anything for a while, probably don't even know that a solution exists like you. And how do we stay in front of them forever so that when they become the 5%, we're not unknown to them just as a list of spreadsheet items that are comparing against everybody else who actually does do the same thing that, that we do. You totally hit the nail on the head because research from Gartner has shown this and we're seeing this with our clients and the prospects we're talking to as well, is that, like you said, 95% of companies are not in market. And if you look at lead generation versus demand generation, I think a lot of marketers and sales leaders and organizations think that that's the same thing. They're two very different types of strategies. Lead generation is really like, I'm playing the short game. I'm trying to find leads. I'm trying to find them now. We're trying to flip them to sales. The problem is it ignores the other 95% of who are not in market. And the statistics coming out of Gartner are telling us up to 80% of that buying decision process is complete before they will ever talk to a sales rep. 72% of B2B buyers have said, I would prefer zero interaction with a sales rep during the purchase process. My heart is broken. They don't even want to. I know, to. I know. It, it's tough out there. And it takes an average of 66 touches now to get them to talk to a sales rep. So if you're ignoring that 95% who are not in market today, you're not going to have the growth that you could achieve in the future. Because quite frankly, if I'm making 80% of that buying decision before I pick up the phone, I've already shortlisted who I'm going to talk to. And I already have a pretty good idea who I'm going to go with. And if you don't make the cut, you're never going to get that sale. Look at demand generation is really about playing the long game along with the short game. And, you know, the best way I can think of how to describe the difference between lead generation and demand generation is that with lead generation, you're chasing the leads and you're asking the prospect for a meeting and you're trying to pull them into your sales process. 
Demand generation, it's about building brand awareness and trust long before they're in market so that they have an affinity for your company and your brand by the time they are in market and they're ready to make a decision. And so it flips the script and they're actually asking you for a meeting and inviting you into their buying process. And it sounds so daunting because, you know, having been on the side where I kind of have to go, like we're educating, we're paying to educate customers that we might get money from three years from now, maybe. And it becomes very often a daunting financing quest because if I'm investing in all those channels that will pay off later, you really need to be well funded. This is not an easy financial equation. And I know that comes up all the time when I talk to customers that want to grow past a million maybe, or somewhere where we've gotten somewhere based on referrals and recommendations and our network and all that's running out and, oh crap, like we haven't saved any money in order to build the direct sales and marketing channel that we should have been building and doing this demand gen stuff all along and you hit that plateau like nobody's business, which you're growing that business. I think a challenge that happens like in the thinking for a lot of organizations, they need leads, they need them now, they need revenue now. And so you talk about demand generation and we're very clear with people. This is not an overnight, I built a engine and the leads start flowing in. To do it well, it takes a good six to 12 months to start to see a steady flow of inbound leads and you've got to continually feed it. So it's a long-term game. I really believe that lack of patience is a growth killer for organizations. And when they're thinking about, I'm making this big investment in demand generation and I'm not going to see the return for a year, two years down the road, I can't afford to do that. I would say take it from a different perspective. If you're generating a lot of leads, but they're low intent leads, how much does it cost in time and resources to have a sales team and an SDR team that are following up on those leads and chasing them? And how good is that close rate? Oh, they're still not going to close anyway. We could right. chase things all day long. And yeah, I mean, unless somebody puts their hand up right now and says, I'm not just researching. Like, I want this right now. And I heard you're the best one. That's great. But otherwise, like everything demand jet. And if you have your business in a position where you've made decisions that are having you, you know, that you're desperate and thirsty for the next contract, you're in deep trouble. Yeah, it's a tough spot to be in. Many organizations have found themselves in that spot. I can tell you, it used to be on the corporate marketing side, and it was not uncommon for the sales team and the sales leader to come in a panic. And they're like, we need to throw a campaign together. We need leads. We need to hit our quarterly numbers. And it's okay. Our typical sales cycle is 18 months. I don't know how you think the campaign I'm going to send out today is going to get you leads that are going to close within the next month. But it's that panic that comes into play that dictates a lot of marketing that companies do. It's a very reactive type of marketing. And, you know, those companies that have the ability 
and the smarts to take a pause and say, how do we build this out to experience high growth in the long term? They make that investment in demand generation and they continue to fuel that engine and they have the patience to actually stick with it and see the results. At the end of the day, they're going to experience higher growth than the company who did not do that. They're also going to have shorter sales cycles, higher close rates, and lower customer acquisition costs. So when you really step back and think about it, it's a no-brainer to invest in demand generation. But it's really hard for organizations if they don't feel like we're set with our pipeline for the year. And Where's the ROI? You, know, you know, we like the, right. you, you hit send on that email yesterday and we didn't close anything. And the sales team, you know, like you have to get them on board. You have to get the leadership team on board that, okay, this is a strategy that we're taking as an organization to play the long game here and to really build out this brand awareness in the market that's going to drive inbound leads for us. And if you don't get that, I think it's really hard to be successful at demand generation because if your sales team, for example, is fighting every step of the way and they don't understand and they just want leads and they want them now. We always that want that. But, yeah, I understand right, that of course. You know, the ones I want now could have been seated a long time ago. That's not to yeah, happen. Right. So we what you we have should have that, started two years ago. Yeah. You've got that sort of delta on, I need to fund things two years ago that I wish are happening now. And I mean, that's a very high cognitive load to, I feel it as a sales person, this sort of idea that we need more. So get sales to call people, like call who, you know, <laughs> like outbound is a monumental waste of time in almost every circumstance except you just randomly, sometimes you get a hit that you send 150,000 emails, you got a couple of meetings and right. legitimately I see these numbers and I'm sometimes I'm like, and I would still say, yeah, invest in those things. But outbound is effectively just like, those are part of those 66 touches. What else is happening. And <laughs> you're right. Know, what else is supporting them? Those are just impression marketing campaigns if somebody opened it, but it's no different yeah. than anything else. And we have this idea that you can hunt and find deals. And I really didn't find that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, you think about it for the last 20 years, the software as a service model was if we're going to grow, we're going to hire an army of SDRs. They're going to make outbound calls. They're going to find appointments for us. They're going to hand them to the sales team. The sales team's going to close them. I don't think that model works well the way that it has traditionally been done anymore. And I'm hearing that from sales leaders and people that have SDRs on their team. They're like, man, the things that used to work just aren't working anymore. And I get it. I've actually, you know, a couple of different stops in my career, the SDR teams reported into me, the marketing leader. So I know exactly all the tactics we did in the games and the hunt. And it was like, here's how many calls you need to make today. And here's how many one-to-one -one emails you need to send. And the chase, and it's like, I would not fly today. But a lot of companies are still doing that. And yeah, but, but if you rename it a BDR and you make a report to marketing, everything will be different. I'm joking. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I think there's an opportunity. 
I'm not saying throw the whole SDR slash BDR role out the window. I think organizations maybe need to rethink, like, how does that work in a world where we know that people are going out of their way to not have to talk to the sales rep until they're absolutely ready? Like, they want to control their buying process. And from a marketing perspective, I can say the mistake that we've made in the past is marketing was off and measured on how many MQLs do you pass over to the sales team? So it became a volume game. And anybody that fills out a form, yes, we caught another one, send it over to the SDR and they're going to chase right. after it. And then there was then no focus on quality. So there's a marketing qualified lead MQL for those who, are, who have not lived in this world. And then somehow they were supposed to magically convert into an SQL, which was a sales qualified right. lead. And it just... No one was really ever sure what the delta was between one or the other, except right. that it didn't end up. And then eventually somebody labeled them all as opportunities, but we're not really sure what that happened either. You know, and so the actual, the difference between all these things in the pipeline, and this is life cycle stage and it's not real. It was just hard. It's, it's not. And I think from a marketing perspective, as a marketer, like, we need to step back and reevaluate that whole concept of MQLs because the focus really needs to be on quality over quantity and starting to identify not from a lead scoring perspective, like these are the individuals who they fit our ideal customer profile. They're engaging with our content. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. Hand it to sales. This is exactly who we want to talk to. It's looking at actual buying intent activities. So being much more stringent about what should be passed to sales. They shouldn't be sending leads to sales to chase after unless there's a real indicator that this person's in market to buy. Otherwise, you're wasting a ton of time and resources for the company. Yeah, I always wondered, like, was there ever a time that downloading a white paper meant that you were actually going to buy something because uh, whoever invented that it never made sense to me but i understand that you can look at the evolution of inbound marketing and there were some really good pieces of that and hubspot led the way in that world yeah but once it became saturated then you need to get creative in other ways when you talk to Mangen. I know part of my world goes to abm strategies and then i think of different channels like what are the top five sort of channels that must be in place, you know, in some kind yeah. of priority order in there, just to help people get their head around. What does this actually mean in practice? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think it's really going to depend on your ideal customer profile and where those types of companies you're trying to attract hang out. Because what might work really well in one industry and with one particular type of buyer is not necessarily going to be where someone else is hanging out. But there are three things. So like at my organization, when we're working with clients, when we look at demand generation, there are three pillars to building out a demand generation engine. One is the strategy. One is the content. One is distribution. And there's a lot of details that fall under each of those pillars, but focusing specifically on the distribution, there's three avenues that we want organizations to think about. The first one is your website. You've got to have a really good storefront. This is where people go to learn truly about you and to dig in, and you want them to be able to go as deep 
as they need to on understanding who you are, the services you offer, how much it costs, all of those things that they don't want to talk to the sales rep about. Then you need to look at what I call managed channels. And this is about building your audience. Like I think a key piece of building out a demand generation engine is that you want to build this audience that is following you and continues to engage and consume your content on a regular basis. So you're constantly feeding that engine, putting more stuff out there for each stage of the funnel so that wherever they're at, they can find the kind of information they want. And those managed channels, often it's going to be like the things that you get to control. What are you publishing and when are you publishing and how are you putting it out there? So you've got full control of it. Think about that as like, email campaigns, ABM, digital ads, podcasts, webinars, social media, blogs, all those kind of things. You're building the audience. You want them to continually come back and look at what you're saying. The third channel, which if you don't have a lot of brand awareness, might actually be where you should start. But it's how do you tap into third-party audiences? So existing relevant audiences to expand that engagement and expand that audience. So that's going out there. And and a lot of times it's pay to play to get into like industry publications and be guests on podcasts that are relevant in the industry and to sponsor webinars and all those kind of things where someone else's name is attached to it, but you get to insert your name in some way. We'll do programs for our clients where they get to be guests on podcasts and they get to host webinars that are actually hosted by the third party. They have industry influencers who are writing articles about them. All of these things that you can behind the scenes actually arrange to happen. There's you might also have called it PR back in the day. It's a little bit different now, but yeah, they're, like, a little they're, bit. they're paid placements. Yeah, absolutely. And that's absolutely right. Yeah. And there are certainly opportunities out there where you're maybe not paying to be placed into those things or there's content trades. Like there's all kinds of different things out there, though, for organizations. Oh, marketing. Relevant. Yeah, totally. Not a new concept. But if you look at those three things, like ultimately from a demand generation standpoint, knowing how people want to buy today, you've really got to think about making your digital footprint your best sales rep. So if you put a lens like that on it, it's not replacing your sales reps, of course. They still have a job to do. But if I'm making 80% of that buying decision before I'm willing to talk to the sales rep, that means your digital footprint has to do a damn good job of selling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we talk all the time about just how much of the buying decision now is related to weird tangential things like I checked out the CEO's LinkedIn. Yeah. It's not like I'm ever going to do business with the CEO, but there's this sort of personalized, I don't know, like tendrils now of a brand. It touches so much stuff that it never used to. And mm-hmm. and you can see that from the multi-channel approaches that I've now come into, like marketing and communications or Marcom, corporate market, that wasn't even a thing 15 years ago because there weren't multiple channels by which your brand could be represented and or not represented by you. 
that you controlled or didn't control or owned or managed. Like, I mean, it's just vastly more complex. People are going to find out about you the way that they want to find out about you. And right. it's a great deal of investment to control that to the extent that you can control it, but also be an authentic brand because everybody wants that too. And I think that brings up kind of in my mind the whole term, which is a little bit newer called dark social. And that is exactly like people are not necessarily getting the information the way you think they are or through the traditional methods. So for example, like a lot of companies are seeing success with building out personal brands on LinkedIn to support the company brand. And you've got thousands of people that are out there doing that and doing it quite well where they're building up these huge followings on LinkedIn because they're posting every day content that's relevant to their company, but is coming from them as their original thinking. And it builds trust with that audience where they're like, hey, Ledge really knows what he's talking about when it comes to sales methodologies. I think that this is a company we want to talk to. And you don't know necessarily who all is seeing that content you're putting out there. You don't know who they're going and talking to. You can't see when they send that post to someone else. But all these things are kind of happening behind the scenes that we as marketers can't easily measure, which is a challenge because for years now, we've been told you have to prove your ROI. You have to show that the investments I'm making in marketing are helping us grow. So I think as marketers, we've moved so far to the other side that it's like, oh, we can't do that program. It's not measurable. Well, guess what? You can't measure every interaction. There's 66 of them. And if you think that it was that one digital ad that they saw that they clicked on and filled out the form that converted them, you're missing the whole point of how the buyer journey works. And you're going to put all this money into your digital ads and not into the other pieces. And you're going to start to see those digital ads don't work as well as you thought they did. Yeah, I just need to retarget on YouTube. Everything will be fine. All right. Trust me. Yeah. No, I mean, it's so fragmented. You used to be able to go like, I'm going to fund these two things and then I'm going to track it. And the attribution is going to flow beautifully through my landing page into my CRM. And I'm going to know everything about the customer. And it just isn't that way. And particularly I've seen what's cool about technology and the ability of us to use enabling technologies to launch more complicated, more comprehensive solutions, thereby increases the difficulty of making a sale, thereby requiring more conversation, but people don't want to have conversation with more humans because it's completely overwhelming. And, right. and we also have 65 different channels of marketing that we might get. And then we have, forget about dark social and all the things that we can't measure and attribution is blown out of the water. And I mean, just like, I'm making a good case to just go and hire you and your team because I don't want to do it. <laughs> it's just completely yeah. overwhelming. It will absolutely paralyze you if you don't have a good system to think about this, you know, down the line. Yeah, it's not easy. If it were easy, every company would be slaying it from a marketing perspective, right? And then they'd be killing it in sales. And I think sometimes organizations actually, 
there's so much technology out there on the marketing front. I mean, there's thousands of different options that fit into the marketing technology stack. And I've seen companies invest quite heavily in a whole bunch of technology and overcomplicate it to the point where they're paralyzed to do anything. So it's, you know, in some ways it's like walk before you run, start with the simple stuff and prove it out before you start building this gigantic tech stack that has Sixth Sense and advanced marketing automation and all of these customized things that sound amazing and sound like when you put them all together, they work well, but are so complex that you end up using 10% of it and not being effective at all. Yeah. Now marketing ops is a thing. Hold on a second. What? Yeah, if you need people just to operate the stack, could you possibly be optimizing this? Most companies buy this stuff and then they don't even turn it on. And right. like, I'm firmly still believing that I think like you talked about the pendulum sort of swinging back from data is like, hold on, let's simplify this and think about from a relationship perspective, how can we just get better and scale authenticity and brand awareness from actual conversations. And we're tracing, you know, now this sort of AI business and generative AI is going to effectively mean every single piece of content is written by a robot. Thus, right. it's not going to look or sound different than anything else. And how do you then make authentic, real content? Well, you're left with audio and video at least for the next two or three years until audio and video is all generated by robots. And then I don't really know what's next, but maybe people will start calling us sales bros again. I don't know. You know. I'll check back with you in two to three years to see right, how that prediction right. panned There's out. Like everybody has been <laughs> to hell with content. I'm actually going to call the sales guy again. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That'd actually be pretty amazing if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to be humans because we've over-engineered everything. So tell me about, you know, I love to get like a lessons learned or approach or I mean, you've been doing this since 2015. Obviously things have changed, but maybe look at it from the standpoint of, okay, from a broader leadership perspective in marketing. I'm sure you've been agile. You've tried lots of things. Like what should people definitely not do? I think the definite not do is to get so focused on the short game that you totally overlook the long game. Because the thing to keep in mind is that those future prospects are really important to future growth. And so you want to get in front of them as soon as you can. And yep, they might not buy for three years and they might not buy for five years. But it's much better to be looking ahead and building out those programs with the anticipation that you will grow than to look back and say, why didn't we do this two years ago? And I think a lot of organizations find themselves in that spot when they're behind on revenue and they aren't hitting their targets for the quarter in the year. And now they're in a panic. Yeah. We keep talking back about that, like getting to the panic zone. Is there anything that works in the panic zone? When people come to you with that, are they just screwed? Because I try to think about like, what's the most cost effective way to dig you out of the problem that you caused? Yeah. Uh, you know, there isn't often a good answer. And I'm curious, no. like, what, what do you do when you just like, I agree that in 2012, I should have launched the authoritative blog about this <laughs> Let's say 2018, I should have launched the authoritative podcast about this thing and followed up quickly with making sure my YouTube is on point and I publish a video every couple of days, but I've done none of those things. And my social yeah. is total garbage. 
Are those the ones you're just like, you know, bless your heart, honey, I'm out of here? We have, it's not uncommon to have people come to us who are in the panic. For us, we have learned as an agency where the red flags are because you want to help everybody. And they come in and you're like, I've been on the other side. I know how stressful it is to be in that spot and you're expected to turn everything around. But the reality is there's no magic bullet. If there was, everybody would be doing it. And we'll be honest with them up front. Let's be realistic about expectations here. We can build out campaigns for you and we're going to help you think through like how do we tap into the lowest hanging fruit here to try to drive some leads for you. But again, 5% of companies are in market. The other 95% aren't. So you have to be realistic. And I seen articles recently that said in a year like 2023, where the economy is in tough shape, the number of companies that are actually in market to buy has shrunk down to 1%. So think about it. As these tech companies are laying off people and they're pulling back spend and they're pulling back on marketing and all of these things and their revenue is not where they want it to be. They're not going out and spending as much money. They're holding their purse strings a little tighter there. So it it gets tricky. But I think there are things, you know, you can try to do to support the short game from a campaign perspective, like looking at opportunities that have fallen out of the pipeline. Are there campaigns you can do around that? Looking at campaigns specifically for stalled opportunities in the pipeline to try to accelerate that doing retargeting so people that you know are visiting certain pages on your website that seem to have a higher buyer intent if they're looking at them, doing campaigns from a digital perspective to them. Sometimes there's software where you supposedly can identify who some of those people are and go after them from an email perspective as well. There are things you can do, but I always caution, like if you think we're in a bind We need to pull in an agency to generate leads now. 90% of the time, you're going to walk away disappointed because your expectations were unrealistic on what that agency could do for you. And if we knew how to magically pull leads out of thin air for you, we'd absolutely be doing it because we want to see our clients be successful. But I've had... Yeah, 15 different people messaged me on LinkedIn yesterday that they could do that. So I don't know, but... Oh, yeah. A hundred leads a week. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently my calendar will be filled with SQL for the rest of time if I just pay a couple of grand a month. So I don't know. We'll see what that's like. And I'll add another tip to the mix there. You are listening and you find yourself in that spot. And a lot of people are suffering right now and a little bit scared. Remember that you have paying customers and you have had paying customers in the last year and a half. And why don't you just call them and have a conversation? If you've got idle sales folks and relationships and customer success people, call up and talk to your customers. Like people forget this all the time. Like you already have people that pay you and they probably have other things that they need done that you do. And they don't even know that you exist to do that thing because they bought under other circumstances years ago. So call your freaking customers, please. Yeah. That's great advice because we definitely see it as an agency. You know, we offer a whole bunch of different marketing services, but they'll hire you for one thing and they'll keep coming back to you for that one thing. And it's like never talk to them about 
XYZ. I bet you they've never thought about the fact that we could help them with that. Yeah, absolutely. Love these insights. I mean, I just let the realistic nature of not getting yourself into this place, I think is the biggest takeaway. Like for God's sake, the best data we have invested in demand was yesterday. The next day is next best is tomorrow. You need to be doing these things. This is not optional in B2B. It's just not. Yeah. So Deanna, tell me, I like to finish my episodes here. You know, leaders of B2B are listening. You are a leader of B2B. You have your own contexts and expertise. Like what must be on the radar in this next like two years, right? Like what do you know that everybody else doesn't know that's on the radar screen and you're saying, pay attention to that because it matters right now. I think what really matters right now, a lot of companies are pulling back on marketing spend because, you know, I don't know if we're in a recession or not. There's all this conversation around it. But certainly like in the software as a service space, we're seeing it everywhere. They're cutting back on spending. They're laying off people. It's a tough market right now. One of the first places that organizations often cut is in marketing which doesn't make sense. We're behind on revenue. We're concerned about revenue. Therefore, we're going to cut marketing. The very engine that creates awareness in the market and builds trust with people so that they raise their hand and say, I want to buy from you. So what I would say over the next couple of years as we continue through this economic climate, really think twice about how you're investing in your marketing and whether it makes sense to cut back on it or not. Because I think the companies that continue to make an investment, and you've got to make smart investments. Some companies spend so much and have so much waste in there that they absolutely can cut back and still be successful. But I think there are a lot of companies that need to make that investment that have thought twice about continuing or starting to make that investment. The ones who make the investment and do demand gen really well are going to come out of this so much better. And quite frankly, right now, there's less competition and less clutter in the marketing space because not as many companies are making that investment. And that's where you can really shine. And when you look at these companies that really excel, you can look back at their marketing and you can tie it back and say, wow, they upfront invested in marketing and did it really well. And it probably took them a couple of years to really get traction with it. And nobody thinks about that fact. They just see when the company explodes. Wow, they came on the scene overnight. No, they didn't. They were making the right decisions and they were making the investments. And so I just always encourage leaders to really think about what role marketing plays and to understand that it's not a nice to have. It's a must have if you're going to create a catalyst for growth for your organization. Well said. I absolutely agree. I think the companies that are going to survive and thrive simply must make smart investments. And yeah, look, you're going to have to make cuts, but make them in a discernible way across the organization. Look, if you're in the spot where you need to lay off 10,000 sales, marketing and HR people, you kind of screw up. So just look at doing things a little (laughs) bit better because there were some wild inefficiencies and Hopefully, if you're a well-run organization, you didn't get yourself in that spot to begin with. 
Yeah. Deanna, if folks are resonating with your wonderful insights today, I know I was, but if anybody wants to reach out, best channels to do that, no doubt you have dominated all of the dark socials and all of the, <laughs> the profiles and all these things. So show them how it's done right. Yeah. If you're interested in learning more about how to create a catalyst for growth through demand generation, check out Growth Mode Marketing's podcast. It's called The Demand Gen Fix, and it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me, Deanna Shimoda, on LinkedIn because I regularly post content on insights and best practices for demand generation. And then, of course, there's the Growth Mode website as well, which is growthmodemarketing.com. Thank you so much for coming out. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you, Ledge. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.